You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hi, Miraba. Welcome. I mean, yeah, I'm here from Turkey. Here I am. Uh, we went gallivanting around the Middle East, and it was awesome. It was amazing. You should totally come and hang out with us. Uh, just to give you perspective, we had nine days on the ground there, 12 days total for the trip. So two days traveling on the front end, one day traveling back um, because we gain a day coming back and we lose a day going. But um, 43 sermons in nine days. Uh, it was a lot of teaching, a lot of teaching. And uh, loved it, loved the group I was with. We had a wonderful time. Um, really glad to be home. And uh, glad to be back with you guys, but had a wonderful time there. Uh, Highly recommend that you uh, come hang out with us sometime in Turkey. It's incredible. It's incredible. If you ever want to understand how did the early church literally upend the most powerful empire in history? How did they do it? We go sit in the tensions they faced for nine days and then wrestle with how they actually dealt with those tensions. And so it's pretty cool. We're going to enter into one of the tensions in our own world today, and this is a tough one. When we start talking about the media mountain, what we're talking about is things like news, radio, television, movies. Um, We're talking about social media, which is probably the big phenomena of the last modern era, you know, the last few years, and, and trying to figure out how we do social media well and all that stuff. Um, we're going to talk about all that today. And the, what we're going to talk about that with is um, this book of First and Second Chronicles. And, and I'll explain why in a little bit. Um, I'm using notes today because J.T. Manning, who's on staff at our church, he and I put this sermon together. He's actually preaching in Pullman this morning, and he and I put it together before we left. It's mostly his work. He's done a ton of work on it. He did a great job. But um, I'm not as prepared as I would like to be, because remember, 43 sermons. Um, I was a little pre, preoccupado. Um, that's Spanish for occupied. Um, I'm kind of a polyglot. Um, <laughs> I know like five words in 12 different languages. Uh, uh, no, that's not true even. Um, I'm a real world traveler. Anyways, uh, I was a little preoccupied, and um, so I'm using notes. I want to make sure that I honor the content here because this is actually really good, and, and it's really a powerful way for us to understand the role of media in our culture and the role that we play in it. And so I want to use this kind of this metaphor of um, eating a meal. And and it works for us because with your media, you have sources that serve you the media. And and you get to pick where you go to eat this media food. And and like any meal, you're going to like some of the some of the dishes and you're going to have some things on your plate where you're like, I'll eat that last. Maybe it like when I go to a steakhouse, I'm going to have a steak, but they serve me green beans with it probably cause I need them. Um, obviously I'm a big vegetable guy, but here's the deal. I'm going to eat the steak. If, if I got room left over and I'm desperate uh, and I'm too stingy to pay for dessert, then I'll eat the green beans. But there's like any meal, there's things that you digest and there's things that you don't. There's just things that you don't want to take in. And so so we have, where are we being served all of our media information? And then what are we 
digesting? What are we taking in and what are we processing? And the reason why that matters is because you and I actually serve a meal to other people as well. We serve a meal to other people like our children, our friends, and in how we engage in the conversations about these um, hot topics in our world is important. I love what Christer said about having the ability to go through a lot of different sources, like listen to Fox News and CNN and NPR and, and listen to the radio state, listen to MSNBC. And I know that some of you guys, ah, they're liberal. See, this is where we get off. It's important that we know about the events that are going on in the world, right? Like we had this terrible tragedy. Speaking of the media mountain, we had this terrible tragedy this last week where a guy went in and shot up a newspaper, shot people. That's horrible. And, and there's a lot of people who are deeply grieving today as a result of that. And that's true. And that information you will get regardless of the news outlet that you listen to. The problem with media is where we begin to move from facts to commentary. And that becomes a real issue because some people are going to make this about gun control. And some people are going to make it about antipsychotic medication. And some people are going to make it about antidepressants. And some people are going to make it about this thing or that thing. And this is where it starts to get haywire. And then we get completely off of the fact that there are families that are deeply grieving this morning. And we miss that. And that's a tragedy because we start to influence our commentary over the conversation and make it about the particular acts that I want to grind in society. And that's where we start to understand that as Christians, the first and foremost thing that you and I must know is that we are Christians before we are anything else. We are Christians before we're Americans. We're Christians before we're Republican or Democrat or Independent or Libertarian or anything else. We are Christians first. And that ought to influence how we offer commentary on the day's events. It ought to influence that. And, and I wonder if for uh, those of us that are active in the media world or we really care about politics or news or whatever, like I, I love that. I don't, I don't mind that at all. But I wonder how are we offering commentary on the world? Like any time that we think that there's one simple answer to fix the really complex issues that we're facing in our world, it's hard. Like I think we're demeaning humanity a bit to say that the simple answer is just build a wall or just do this or just do that or just whatever, like whatever it is, like yes, yes, there are, there are benefits, there are merits, but there are drawbacks and, and humanity is complex and the things that we, like when you just say, well, it's this, if everybody just would do it my way, then everything would be fine. No, actually, if everybody did it my way, the world would be really jacked up. Like, I love my opinions. I do. I think I have some great ones. Just ask me. I'll tell you because they're my opinions. Same with you, right? Like, we have our opinion. I love my opinion. It's wonderful. My opinion is right. But the truth is I'm, I'm smart enough to know that my opinion is not, like, I don't have all the information. I, I have an opinion based on what I know, and even that's probably skewed. Like, if the world ran on my opinions, it would be messed up. And so what we have to understand is that as we enter the media conversation that we've got to be shaped and structured and we got to remember that we're Christians first, that we are residents of the kingdom of God first, more than anything else. 
And I wonder, as people look at the meal that you're serving, would they see you communicating that message? Or would they see you trying to communicate a different one? Now, we're going to use the book of Chronicles this morning because what's happening with Chronicles is First and Second Chronicles is written by an uh, author known only as the Chronicler. This is his superhero name, or her superhero name, we don't know. Uh, it's the, you guys remember the, the movie Mystery Men? Every, say, every time I say Ben Stiller, every time I say this, I think of that when they were interviewing superheroes and there was that one guy, the Waffler! That's what I think of every time. The Chronicler! Every time I say it. It's the Chronicler! It's this syrup of truth. Chronicler! That's how I think. That's what I think about. This welcome to my mind for a minute. Um, this is why you don't want to build the world on my opinions, because those are the kind of things that surface. Chronicler! Uh, so the Chronicler, this is all we know about uh, the author. Some people have speculated that it's Ezra the priest, and that makes sense. Um, that makes sense because First and Second Chronicles are written as the children of Israel are kind of being released from, from captivity in Babylon, and they're beginning to return home to Israel. The interesting thing about the timing of that is that it's writing about events that happened several hundred years earlier. So the stories of 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, this, these are written about the same stories, but at the time that they were actually happening. Chronicles is written kind of as a reflection back to that time, that 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, this is the story of the nation of Israel and how it kind of emerged and what happened with the kings and who were the good kings and the bad kings. And there's, there's that in. Chronicles is written as a reflection back on that, like as you begin to build a nation again, here's the things that I want you to remember. Chronicles gives commentary on the events. So Chronicles is a really good use for media as we talk about how our media should give commentary on the world's events today. So that's, what's, that's what we're going to talk about. And I want to begin in the beginning of 1 Chronicles, chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. You ready for this? Adam, Seth, Enish, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And you go, whoa, that's incredible, chronicler. Good job. Good job, chronicler. Here, if you've been journeying with this for a while, you know this. A genealogy is never just a list. It's a part of the story. So what is the chronicler trying to say? Well, what he's saying here is we have to understand where our story begins. This sounds eerily similar to what we were talking about with the One Big Story series, right? We must begin our story where God begins our story because there's some really important truths that are conveyed there with Adam and Seth and Noah and Ham, Shem and Japheth. Like there's some really important truths that are being communicated there that are significant. And if we don't understand that, then we begin right at the beginning to tell the wrong story about who our God is and how the world functions. We must understand, and the chronicler is illustrating this right up front, we must understand that number one, first and foremost, God is not an angry God. 
that he created a good world. And he created good things in that world. And he created you. You get it. Tove mayode. You are very good. You're full of potential. And yes, your sin gets in the way of that story. But you are what God says you are. And that matters. Because these people are coming out of captivity and they're slaves and they've only known being the underdog and being demeaned and looked down on. That's all they've known. And so the chronicler says, if you're going to build a kingdom that is God's kingdom, you must understand that you are not second rate. You are a child of God. That is who you are. And he says it like this, Adam right? He says it like that, Seth, Enoch. We're like, oh, it's such a list, just a list. No, no, this is a story about the truth of you. Now he's going to go on and have a whole bunch of genealogies about here's how we got from there to here. And then he's going to get to the story of Saul. Saul is Israel's first king, and we have to remember, right? Except Saul's not a good king, so guess what we have about him? Bad paragraph. We don't want to focus on the bad guys. Now we're going to talk about David next. We got like 20 chapters on David. Of course we do. But the chronicler doesn't want to focus on critiquing everything that went wrong. Maybe we should learn that in the media. So it's not about being critical of what we disagree with. It's about properly telling the story how we believe it should be played out. So I just wonder, like on your Facebook page, if I was to go look on your Facebook page, and I'm friends with a lot of you, so I already have looked, um, whether I wanted to or not, but is your Facebook page spent critiquing the world, or is your Facebook page telling stories of the presence of God right amongst us? Is it about the dad who showed up? Is it about the person, the single mom who got her groceries paid for? Is it about the church that did this and this place and this happened? Is that what it's about? Or is it about criticism of government and criticism of people and things and stuff? What's it about? How does our media tell the story of the, what we believe about our God? So we have like this few sentences about Saul moving on. David, 20 chapters on David. It's awesome. And what's interesting is we begin with David's mighty men, which makes total sense because David is a warrior king. He's, this, he's the man. Like he's, he's the one that restores and unifies Israel to a nation. Of course, we want to start with his mighty men. But the second story is the story of the ark. Why? Because the ark is the presence of God. So the second piece of commentary that we have to understand about Chronicles is that if we're going to tell a proper story of the world, what we have to tell is God's presence has always been with us. It's never left us. And the ark for them becomes the symbol of God's presence. And I wonder how we're doing. And especially as we move into this week of celebrating Independence Day and fireworks. And, and listen, I'm so thankful to live in America. I am. I'm a proud American. I am. I just want to put on display my God before I put on display the nation that I live in. 
So I'm not, I'm not trying to be anti-American. I'm just saying before I'm anything else, I'm a Christian. And so how am I putting my God on display? Well, David wants to build a house for God. And God won't let him because he's got too much blood on his hands. So what David does is, rather than building the house, he gets everything ready and he organizes this and organizes that. And so uh, what happens is we begin to see David organizing things and then we start to see kind of as David kind of gets to the end of his king of his reign, there's, there's this list of his family and that kind of stuff. So I want to take a look at this because this is actually significant. Uh, First Chronicles 14, here we go. And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and also masons and carpenters to build a house for him. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more wives in Jerusalem and David fathered more sons and daughters and these are the names of the children born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, a name for those of you with child. Maybe you consider this one. Shobab, that name rocks. Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Epilet, he had a seizure problem. Um, Epilet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Beelida, and Elephelet. He had big ears, kind of a long nose. It was really interesting. Ella fell it. it was a fascinating story. What I love about this passage is if you go back to read the Samuel and Kings version of this story, the massive amount of content about Bathsheba and Solomon, right? In Chronicles, there's not any time given to that. Like this is, this is not about, at the time it's about the women and the sex and all that stuff here. It's about like, there was other things going on that there was other motivations that were driving him. And and, like what happened with Bathsheba was simply an extension of an already bad heart. So Solomon just simply gets listed among the people of uh, among his other children. That's as much as we get about Bathsheba. And I love that because again, it's not a critique on the mistakes it's a reaffirmation that in this story, God's always been working. Now, David wants to assess the strength of his kingdom. How do we do this? Military. How strong are we? Bow to my military power because every nation in the world wants to do this. Look at my army. Ah! how dare you take on the military might of America? Like, how, like, this is, by the way, it's exactly what Babylon felt like when they fell. It's exactly what uh, Persia felt like when they fell. It's what Greece felt like when they fell. It's what Rome felt like when they fell. It's what Egypt felt like when Egypt fell. This is nothing new. Right? And so the chronicler wants to make sure, listen, we got to tell this part of the story because if you think that in building a nation, your security comes from anywhere other than God, you're in for a sore mistake. Like you can, God killed 100,000 Midianites with 300 people with Gideon blowing horns. 
you don't need a strength of your military, but I got to tell you the story to prove it. So he tells this story. Now what's interesting in Chronicles, it says in chapter 21, here's what it says. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab, the commander of the army, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know the number. Now this is interesting that the chronicler says Satan did it. Because in 2 Samuel, here's what it says. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. So who caused him to do this? Chronicles says Satan. 2 Samuel says God did it. You ought to probably have some theological questions about that. <laughs> Here's the thing. The chronicler wants you to understand that like there's a there's a there's a lack of it's not even about who. It's about the fact that David is carrying a lack of security in his own God. He's trying for himself and and I get this and I think if you're a parent you'll understand this as well. David is trying to set up his son for success. And it's one thing to worry about yourself. Like I can trust God for me, but am I willing to put my children in God's hands? That's a whole different game. It's nerve-wracking. Then we have Solomon builds the temple, and it's awesome, and they offer all these sacrifices. God sends a big ball of fire down and burns them all up, which would be awesome. That'd be a cool scene in the movie. Sacrifices gone. Um, And then uh, Solomon does what all great men do. He dies. And we wrestle with, was Solomon a good king or a bad king? Chronicles seems to tell the story of Solomon that he started out really well, but maybe didn't finish as strong. And then his son, Rehoboam, becomes king, kind of through a dishonest way, which leads to a coup led by a general of the army named Jeroboam. So you have Rehoboam and Jeroboam, not related, but that divides the kingdom and then you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And now you start to have this list of good kings, bad kings. And when it's good, they, they, God does good things for them. When they're bad, God does. They, and it's this battle of like, don't ever forget that how the leadership goes is important, right? That matters. If, as you're building this nation, as you're starting off in this new country, remember this. And then you have Hezekiah who does some really awesome things tears down all the idols, and Assyria comes and attacks him, and it says that he, he has Hezekiah shut up like a bird in a cage, and God delivers them, because Hezekiah is a good king. And then, you have some bad kings, and they lose the book of the law, which is, like, think about this. From Hezekiah to Josiah is only like three generations. Like, in, they, they lose the Bible. They forgot that they had it. So when Josiah, who at the time is eight years old, uncovers it, he doesn't even know what it is. Like, what in the world happened? Well, they figure out what it is. Josiah calls everybody to a fast. They repent, and God comes in, blesses them, and it's a good thing. This leads me to a consideration of how you and I engage our social media. Like, 
When we're giving commentary on the world that we're experiencing, what kind of commentary are you giving? And here's the struggle. I'm not asking you to not have an opinion. You, as you consider, like, what is the best option? What is the best course of action for the government in this particular context? What is the best course of action for our nation in this particular context? Like, you get to have those opinions. You should. The question is, as we stand on our opinions, what is the message that we're giving to the world? Because here's the deal. You're going to die one day, and your children are going to go back and look through your Facebook page. And they're going to decide what your legacy was based on the messages that you communicated to them. What was your legacy? And I'm not, I'm, this is attention. I'm not saying that there's one way to do it or a wrong way and a right way. That would, again, would be way too simplistic because this is complex. What I can tell you is you by yourself cannot wrestle with these issues well alone. You must do it in the context of community. It's why we need one another. It's one of the reasons why we do small groups so that we can try to wrestle with like, how are we supposed to engage this thing, this issue, this topic? Um, how are we supposed to uh, wrestle with these issues in our world today? And there are some big ones and they are hard. It, it's true. How are we supposed to land on these issues well? We've got to do it together. We can't do it alone because alone you're the victim of your own opinions and your own experiences and that's limited. What I know is as a community we've got to be committed to being Christians before we're anything else. To putting our God on display well before we do anything else. Like are we celebrating in Facebook and Twitter? Are we celebrating things that God would celebrate? Or are we jumping on? I remember when, um, when Trump got elected and um, it, there was riots and whatever, you know, it's not about commentary on that. The Babylon Bee, which is Christian satire, released an article about this guy that figured out how to stop the millennials from rioting by giving them all a participation trophy. <laughs> I thought it was funny. So I made a huge error in judgment and I reposted it. I know it was wrong. It was wrong of me to do it, but it was one of those that click. And for the most part, people took it in the spirit with which I posted it, but some people were deeply wounded by it. I was like, really? Come on. You're not even given a voice. I'm like, maybe, maybe we're taking this too seriously. But the problem is there are people that take it too seriously. And if we're going to put our God on display, we have to understand that God really values their opinion too. And so how, like, it was a really super valuable lesson for me in that I have to, I have to be careful as a Christian and as a pastor, I have to be careful, like, what are the messages that I'm putting on my Facebook? What are the messages? What are the pictures that I'm showing? What, what am I doing in these pictures that I'm showing? Um, you know, am I doing things that are, like, uh, suggestive of one thing or another? Is there double entendre in what I, in the, you know, uh, am I walking up behind somebody and fake grabbing somebody's butt? Like, uh, like, which, ha, ha, that's funny, right? For about 90% of the people, that's true. For some people, they're deeply wounded. So, like, do I, do I just go, well, you're dumb, and I don't care what you think, or do I be a Christian first? 
What do I do with the issue of alcohol? Is it wrong for Christians to drink? No, it is completely within your freedom to drink. Should you put it on display to the world? Maybe not. Like, these are the wrestling matches that we have. Like, how do we put our God on display well? When I take a selfie, because we're in this selfie generation, I am determined to make my selfies as ugly as they possibly can be, which is a short trip for me, actually. And, and I always hashtag it, selfie game strong. Like, it's always half, it's a half of my face. It's not always the same half. And, and I'm always, like, cross-eyed or, like... It, it's, it's, it's as bad as, it can, as I can make it. Why? Because I don't take myself too seriously. But when you, as a Jesus follower, and you got your swimsuit on, and you're all, like, are, are you putting your God on display? Well, probably. But, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? And that's the problem. That's the problem. And again, is it wrong for you to take a picture of yourself? Of course not. It's not wrong for you to take a picture of yourself. But what we have to remember is that we're Christians first. We're Christians first. So we have this gleaming bastion of hope called Instagram, which is like all happiness and roses, right? It's only, it's only vacations and really good food and that kind of thing. The problem is Instagram is like comparison central, so now I don't disagree with your point of view. I'm envious of what you're like. I'm envious of all the pictures you just posted of your trip to Turkey. Man, it must be nice, you know. Uh, what are they paying those pastors these days? Uh, a lot. <laughs> so if this is your problem, you can get over it. Come to Turkey with me. Uh, anyway, that's a. Side note, uh, which I'll probably, that was probably too, I didn't put my God on display well there. See how easy it is. See how easy it is. Anyway, like we live in this world of tensions where uh, we have to understand that there's, there's issues that we're facing that when we don't like honor humanity and take seriously what it means to live as kingdom residents first. And I know that for some of you, you're like, I don't care what you think about my Facebook page. It's mine. And I have the right to do whatever I want. Which number one is 100% American. And number two is 100% untrue. Because what the Bible says, you know, this book that we live by, what it says is that your, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. When you take on the name Christian, your life no longer belongs to you. So it doesn't matter what your rights are as an American, you're part of the kingdom of God first. And so you have to put your kingdom on your God on display well. That's why Paul says, it's not me who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. So when you say, well, I don't care what anybody thinks about my Facebook page, well, you're wrong. Because a Christian should. A Christian should care what people think about it. Because we're not just representing us, we're representing the God that we say we serve. And that's important. And that's the tension that we live in. How do we do that? Well, I don't know, but we can take some points from the Chronicler and say, we're not going to focus on the bad. We're not going to let all the bad stories and criticisms, that's not where we're going to live. We're not going to live in focusing on everyone else's mistakes what we're going to do is we're going to keep calling back people to the things that actually matter. So where are the stories that actually matter? 
With that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. And so if you're new with us, we have an open table. And that means that anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake. But we want you to hold the elements till the end. And then we're going to take them all together. Okay? While they're passing that out, I have four questions that I want you to ask yourself as we move into this time of reflection on what we just talked about. And, and here's the deal. I, I'm the first one to admit this is exceptionally complicated. I get it. And where do we get to voice our opinion and our concern? And where's the proper forum for that? And like, I get it. I get it. It's complex. And um, it's complex on a lot of different issues. Uh, there's all kinds of places where people would love for me to stand stronger in one place in a public forum or whatever. Like it's complex and, and maybe they're right and I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, it's, it's hard. But I have some questions for you to ask yourself as you're processing that. What does that mean for your social media? Number one question. What are you taking in? What are you allowing to be your influence? I love what Christer said in the video that we should take in information from a lot of different sources. Some that you would consider more liberal than you, some that you would consider more conservative than you even. And all the spectrum in the middle, we don't just find sources that agree with us and then always just listen to them and everybody else is wrong. What are you taking in? Are you, are you well-rounded in your understanding of the real issue? Are you being able to process and delineate between information like about the event and commentary? Because what I can tell you straight up is that there is no unbiased media. That's a farce. There is no unbiased information. That's a farce. But what are you taking in? Second question. How is this media shaping you? How are you letting that affect you? Because what I can tell you is that all news, conservative or liberal, doesn't really matter. All news is built on the premise of fear. Like, people always ask the question, why isn't there a news source that's got all these really awesome, only the good stories? Well, here's why, because nobody wants to watch it. Although there is a website, it's in your notes, it's www.goodgoodgood.co. That's not .com, it's .co. That's right. Uh, only good news stories. You can subscribe to it. And uh, actually started by a person who used to live in Pullman. So uh, that's kind of cool. Um, anyway, you can subscribe there if you're interested. But how's your media shaping you? I don't know if you guys remember. Remember um, a few years ago, there was a guy that was a political commentator named Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> Even when I say the name, you guys are like, Whoa! Like there's that camp, the yeah, Rush, and then there's the that. Like, here's the thing about Rush. I remember when he was really big, when he was really um, popular, and uh, I could always tell the people that listen to Rush regularly. I always tell it by the expression on their face, which was something like this. Like, you have no joy. Like, you are only angry all the time. And you're critical. Why? Because that's all you're taking in. What Rush figured out is that the money in politics isn't in politics. It's in critiquing politics. That's where the money's at. He never would have ran for office. But here's the problem. Anybody can stand in the position of critic. That's easy. Have the courage to be part of the solution. 
That's where the game changes. Don't just sit and be, and it didn't matter. He was conservative. And so when there was a conservative um, thing, you know, when, when there was a Democrat and president, he was so critical of Bill Clinton, so critical of Bill Clinton. And then we elected a Republican. He was equally critical of them. Like he just was, he just is a jerk, right? Here's the thing. Should you know what he has to say? Maybe, that's your call. But here's what I know. If you got to ask yourself this question, how is the media shaping you? Because there's no information in this world that should take a piece of God away from me. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. That's what the Bible says. So that regardless of the critique that's going on in the world, I can be at rest. Why? Because I've been to the throne room this morning and my God still sits on it. I'm okay. And God's like, I don't know if you know this, but we've been here before. I'm okay. Don't, don't panic. How's your media shaping you? Third question. What does your social media say about you? Because like I said before, the people that come after you are going to look at what you read and they're going to, or what you posted, what you said about the world, and they're going to form an opinion about you. Is the opinion that they form about you consistent with the fact that you say you're a Christian first? Is that what your social media would show? And again, I'm not saying yes or no. I'm asking the question for you to wrestle with. La- last question. What story are you leaving for your children to read? When you think about your own media, um, what you take in, what, you, what news you have on in the house, uh, what your children overhear, the story that you're telling with how you use media in your life, what story are you leaving for your children to read? Do they have the freedom to understand the power and freedom and peace that comes with being a kingdom resident? Or are they constantly panicked and concerned about the condition of their country or the world or anything else? I'm just asking the question. You do with it what you will, but please hear my heart. If we're going to say we're Christians, we're Christians before we are anything else. Before I'm liberal or conservative. Before I'm anything else. I'm a Christian. By the way, Jesus told a story about how to do this well. Uh, We remember it every week. He walked it out. He said, if you're going to live this thing out well, live in this tension well, it's going to be because you chose to lay your life down, not because you chose to push your own rights. He reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a, it's a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to give us wisdom and understanding and how to live in this tension well. And God, I am so grateful for your grace as we all have these moments where we're like, but I just have to give my opinion here and it just never goes well. 
Lord, thank you for the community that we have where we can talk about these issues and how to, how to represent you well. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to lay our own rights down, to lay down our own agendas and make your name great. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.